What's up all you beautiful people? It's your boy Hobart coming to you on Thursday, December 9th, deep in the heart of Sagittarius territory. Sagittarius. Um and you know, Grendel Titans in full effect. Have I talked about Grendel Tide on this podcast? I don't think so. Well, if I have apologies or maybe you need a refresher, but Grundle Tide is a something that I came up with, I guess. I guess you could call it the holiday season, but it's more fun to say Grundle Tide. And it's kind of the, uh, I use it to refer to this time of the year when, you know, it's between Thanksgiving and New Year's when uh, you have you know, these weeks where, you know, it's kind of like the, the holidays line up every two weeks. Uh, for me, you know, being a Sagittarius myself, my birthday is on the 12th. And, uh, so for me, it's like Thanksgiving and then like three weeks, birthday, two weeks, Christmas, a week, New Year's. Um, from here on out, the, the year is just kind of a, a lot of celebrations and a lot of, cold weather and coziness and uh you know the danish talk about higa which is this non-translatable word but it kind of translates to like camaraderie cozy energy you know dinner parties and hot drinks and being kind to your friends um but yeah this time of the year uh, between, you know, it's the holiday gooch, you know, it's the gooch of the year, the taint, if you will, the grundle, the grundle tide, uh, between the, you know, it's the perennium between Thanksgiving and New Year's where we don't really get much done. You know, I think that it's time, it's the time of the year with holiday parties, people, you know, I see myself certainly, and I'm sure others, expecting to get work done maybe we plan to get work done but i've been working on trying to embrace the fact that this this little you know month month and a half period is really you know it's the grundle tide it's the time to to celebrate and to be with your friends and to enjoy the coziness as the year comes to a close and uh so and most importantly to be easy on yourself um, which is a great segue into my guest for today, the easiest man of them all, and that's Mr. Papa Bear I got on the podcast. Papa Bear is a very interesting character. He's he's someone that I would describe as like very walk up and talk toable. At least maybe if that's how weird I am, but that's how I feel. But I've always felt that he's like such an undeniable character every time i see him in in social circles at events i'm like yeah i gotta go say hi to that guy because uh and he's an incredibly sweet man um very genuine and uh big old beard big old bear-like uh posture and um i met him backstage at the oregon country fair years ago and uh I've seen him play music and we've had some really cool conversations and I bumped into him last weekend at a birthday party and uh, we just fell into such a fascinating conversation and 
that's how so many of these podcast episodes start is I end up in a conversation with somebody and it's like we're kind of doing the pre-podcast, you know, just because there isn't a mic there. It's like, man, like we got to do some of this on mic. We got to make some some of this into the show. So uh, I asked him to come on and he agreed and he, he lives down by Joshua Tree, but he was up recording some music. So we, we were able to fit it in a schedule. Um, we did a little early in the morning for me, so you can hear it in my voice. It's uh, I think uh, on this episode, my voice is definitely even more uh, gravelly than usual. Um, that could be either a flaw or a feature, depending on what your own listening tastes are. Uh, but yeah, really fun time. Very, This is a very informal episode, uh, just kind of diving into giving you a little snapshot of who the man behind the name is. Uh, you know, Papa Bear is living on a off the grid, uh, property that, that him and his wife got down outside of Joshua tree with their two year old daughter. And so we go into, you know, the, the many create applications of creativity that are in, inherent in living off the grid life. Um, we talk about some traveling, some philosophy, and wrap it up uh, talking about badass amplifiers and subwoofers, because that is one of Papa Bear's trades as well. So uh, I'm really stoked he came on. Many thanks to Papa Bear for his time, and I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, let me introduce to you the man, the most, the easiest man in the world, Papa Bear, on this episode 42 of the Bartcast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise. feel like there's certain countries maybe it's every country but they they leave like a this subtle imprint on people hmm. like like as soon as you said like I've been to Japan it everything kind of clicked into place and I was like okay that's mm-hmm. what that little th- thing that I've picked up from you is totally like, the people who go to Africa and have a similar thing or, mm-hmm. and Africa, of course, being a diverse continent with many nations. But like, I've noticed that like for myself, like going to India definitely left. When'd you go to India? 2016. Nice. Yeah, Where'd did. you go? I traveled the whole West coast, nice. um, flew into, um, or Trivandrum, which is like a little city in the South. Right on the tip. Like near like Kerala? In Kerala, yeah. It's mm-hmm. the capital of Kerala. And then made my way up the West Coast. You go to Goa? Three and a half months. I was totally planning on it. Um, it was like an example of, you know, on my on the map, on the itinerary. And by chance it up, 
in the state right below it in uh, Kolkata. No, that's um, God. Memory starts. It starts with the sea. It's the state right below Goa, and there's this beach called Gokarna. Yeah, that's still. That's I thought that was Gokarna was still like. It's like a. It's like less than a hundred miles from the yeah, border. Yeah, it's super close. And there was this par- beach called Paradise that's only reachable by boat. And have you been there? No. no? Okay. I, didn't, I was in Goa. Yeah. So I was staying on this beach called Kudli Beach, Cuddle Beach. And I did a day trip hike with this, with this Indian guy who I had met on the bus ride over. And we get to this beach. It's like the size of a football field. Mm-hmm. Palm trees. There's no structures. The only way to get there is to hike or there's like a boat taxi. And I spent the afternoon there like playing cards and hanging out and I'm walking back to the boat taxi. I decided to taxi back in the evening and I see this British guy just lounging in the hammock, like with his girlfriend. And he's like, Hey mate, like should buy a hammock and join us. (laughs) And as I'm watching the beach recede, I was like, you know what? Like maybe I should. And next day went to the market and, uh, bought a hammock and I came back and um, I was planning on just spending like one night because I wanted to go to Goa and on my second day I ended up falling in with this group of people it was like seven different countries it's the best best part about traveling yeah. you're one of the best parts it's like yeah. the people you meet and like form these little mini communities for, for sure you know, transient communities no i mean we were cooking over a fire and we had this young indian couple that was making just the best food like home cooked food and handmade rotis and uh so at the end of the third night i was like packed all my stuff said goodbye to everybody it's like i gotta go to goa got this plan and I got super sad all of a sudden and I was all starting to get stressed, you know? And I was like, like I realized like nobody cares if I go to Goa Mm -hmm. except for me. Like, and in that moment I just let it go. And I was like, guess what guys, I'm not leaving. And everyone's like, yay. (laughs) And, uh, I was like, I'm going to stay one more night. And then the next day I didn't even try to pack. And I ended up staying on the beach for 11 days. And, it was like one of the most powerful experiences in my life. And it really taught me like, you know, to, we have these plans about the way that we think things are going to go. And sometimes we put ourselves through some painful moments trying to like fit that. So hard to let go of an expectation, you know? Right. And so I didn't go to Goa. I think at, at that time too, you know, when, when I wasn't really traveling to party and a lot of times like these days for me, traveling is a bit of a spiritual experience and not really in the big party state. So like thinking about Goa, I'm also like, dude, you didn't miss, any, yeah. you didn't miss anything. I'm not a huge Psytrance guy. So you don't like Psytrance? Uh-uh. To me, it's like. <laughs> Are you saying that sarcastically? Uh, I mix because <laughs> I've actually had some like transcendent side trance experiences, but okay. most of it's garbage. To me, it was like if Emperor Palpatine was a DJ, you know, and he's designing <laughs> music to hurt people. But you know, no offense to the side trancers out there. I just uh, 
you gotta you gotta hear good side trance because yeah. I feel I feel like for any genre of music, mm-hmm. it like takes hearing the quality thing before you can appreciate it. That's at least my experience yeah. with with electronic music in general. I hated it for so long, for sure, and then I started hearing like really well cared for and well made electronic music and kind of shifted my perspective on it. Yeah. I mean, what I, I was the same way. And, and then I went and studied in, in Europe for like seven months and it's like, well, I kind of got, I like yeah. find a way to accept this into my heart. You're here. And I did, you know, when I went to Holland, like the Dutch house music was amazing and mm. I saw some incredible shows and had some really fun times. Um, and it, it does like, fill a fill a nice pocket sometimes like the right kind of electronic music i think when i was traveling india i was really opened up in this way where the aggressiveness and the kind of darkness not what you were going for no it was kind of like antithetical to i'll say when i was in Goa, i fell in with a crew of uh indian musicians who were deep heady jammers like funk funk and rock and roll yeah and they would play at this bar down the street from my guest house pretty much every night and i started sitting in with them and then going around Goa a bit and playing with them oh. so that was like the the really good part about Goa. yeah but also is just it's so touristy right and like i feel like in the what was that that must have been like early 90s when Psytrance was first like really coming out of there it was probably pretty awesome but yeah yeah and again i i i, I totally get you like i'm not trying to write off a whole genre i'm sure that there would be something i could find but it was this thing as i was traveling it was like persistently disrupting my shanti <laughs> i'd try to find a peaceful place and then like some loud israelis would come in the room next door and just blast it at 3 a.m and then i'd be like i'm trying to meditate guys come on you know? i had a uh, this experience i did a vipassana meditation retreat in up in dharamsala and uh, you know, you're waking up at four thirty every morning and meditating all day. You go to bed at nine and I think four or five nights in, uh, there, were, uh, there happened to be a Indian wedding hap- happening down the street. Oh, yeah. That's noisy. Yeah. And the party was playing like loud side trance, like to, to the point where, uh, like it was like even with earplugs on in my room, it felt like like the sound was in my room. Like mm-hmm. there was like a PA right next to my bed and I didn't sleep for three days and I started losing it. Like I, I had like a nervous breakdown and whoa, you know, in, couple, in Vipassana. Yeah. Wow. Like a couple nights of being in the room and being in such a state of mental anguish. That's so interesting that the, like whoever, whoever was like hosting or holding the Vipassana didn't, go over there and you know ask if well they that could. i was getting frustrated because i was like come on like this we're on retreat like someone needs but, to advocate for us because we can't leave and i uh and it didn't seem like anybody was that i had that same thought you know and it for me it was like torture it was like this like kind of like you, you hear about like the u.s what they do to yeah, think, yeah think about totally. like waco or something well, so you so so you've had some trauma around side trance it's not just like definitely yeah, yeah yeah i get it and by the third night i was really i was so stressed um that i actually went to the 
you know, the old Indian dude who was leading the Vipassana retreat. And I was like, can I get some Valium? Like you got, I'm about to lose it. I'm not a pharmaceutical guy, but like, I don't know what to do right now. I'm at my wits end. And Mm. you know, this music, it's just like every night. And he, he he was a terrible teacher, but (laughs) one of the things he did say that was, it contained some wisdom. He was like, you know, uh, it's going to be okay. Uh, you know, sleep, you're, you're meditating for 10 hours a day. Like sleep is difficult for everybody and you're not alone in this. And, uh, you know, it's, you're resting. Even if you're just laying down with your eyes closed, that's still rest. I'm just thinking now, I bet the relief when it stopped was like the most glorious. Yeah. (gasps) Well, dude, it was crazy that night after I had the conversation with him, I decided, like, I stopped trying to sleep, and I just went and laid down with my eyes closed, and it was, like, the end of the wedding, so it was, like, the music was starting, you know, it was, they were playing, like, gentler music, and I had, like, a new mindset around it, and suddenly, like, I legit just felt like I was on MDMA, like, I got this hit of endorphins, and I was just, like, in this you know, pool of, I started feeling really good and relaxed. It was like, yeah, like a huge relief. I remember having this, I got this image because when, I don't know if you've ever done any retreats, but when you're taking away like Vipassana for those that are listening, who are wondering what it is, it's, it's like the, the meditation practice allegedly that the Buddha himself did was doing under the Bodhisattva tree when he found enlightenment. And it's, very stripped down. There's not a lot of like mythology involved. Um, and like, yeah, the Vipassana, like, there's no, uh, reading. There's no, not, not even any eye contact. You know, they ask you not to make eye contact with other people because you get really deep. And one of the things that happens is you, you basically are taking away all external stimulation of your mind. Like there's no escapism. There's no, you know, we're especially in the Western world, we're so used to just always having stimulation. And then you're also actively focusing on honing your sensitivity to your body, to sensations. Do they have an actual, um, like teaching or is it? Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. you're getting like a seminar in the morning or something like that. So, um, God, it just popped out of my head. The, the, the teacher, uh, was this guy, uh, damn it, this is going to drive me crazy. Um, he was, well, I got to look this up because it's going to drive me crazy. Um, there was this guy who was a, an Indian guy that, oh, Goenka was his name. Goenka. Goenka. And he was born in India and he moved to, to Burma hmm. in his life and rediscovered this method, this method that had been lost for like 3000 years and learned it and brought it back to India in the sixties. And it like spread all yeah, over I mean, the world. You can do a Vipassana pretty much in, yeah. Vipassana anywhere. Yeah. And the best part is they will not accept your money the first time you go. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you want to donate, they're like, no, you do one first, then you can like volunteer or you can give money. Um, and so Goenka, before he died, he recorded his voice lead. So they just play his voice 
mm-hmm. and there is like a teacher there, but he's really like for questions. Um, so like you're listening to like Goenka at the beginning of your sits and, and like, I'm convinced that he's the guy who Yoda was based off of. Like he even talks like <laughs> relaxed you are, you know, like, and, uh, yeah, but it's just, you know, it's you really strip down when you strip down all the external stimulation that you're giving your brain, the amount of like inspiration. Yeah, there's space. Like I was so inspired every day like coming up with so many ideas. I, I remember I would just think of things that were so funny that I would just be crying, laughing, like just with a hand on the wall just like could barely breathe and you know i think if i did it again i would sneak a pen like one piece of paper and a pencil just so that i could jot down ideas hobart yeah it's it's breaking the rules man oh yeah for sure but it's just so like not to write not to write anything out longer but just like to capture a little bit of it because like the level of uh the level of creativity that I experienced, it it was unlike anything else. Mm. And I remember that night that I was feeling the relief, this image of like, like my brain just created the most beautiful woman and Mm. put her face in my mind. And I was like, like, is that the the one that I'm going to find? You know, like I remember just sitting with her and seeing her face and seeing what she looked like. And like, I don't remember what she looks like now, but, you know, it's like, you know, if you saw her though, I bet. Yeah, totally. I had these, a lot of visions like that. So, um, it was deep, but yeah, the side trance was definitely a, uh, detractor. Detractor. It was a hard thing, but, but Papa Bear, dude, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah. I like doing this, like just dropping into a convo and then like once we're locked in and we can do like a, you know, the more formal hello or whatever. And I just want to, uh, I think maybe a good good place to go would be just I was, I've been thinking about this question um and I just forgot it again but like how would you describe like your how does creativity manifest for you in your life how does creativity manifest Wow, that's a really good question. Um, Big question, I know. Yeah. There's no wrong answer, by the way. I feel like there's <laughs> a lot of pieces to that, but in relationship with myself, with other people, and with what's around me, um, music, definitely. And the two, like, big things that I am feel like a lot of my creative energy goes into now is my child. I have a two-year-old. And um, my partner and I bought some land down in the desert a few years ago. And we moved there full-time this last year. And that's just been, like, constant work and exercising new parts of my creativity. Mm. Sort of, like, more DIY style than I had previously explored. So land as a creative practice. Yeah, totally. 
And my partner is like, she's so aesthetically uh, gifted. So also just learning about that method of creativity when we have this big, huge canvas to work with. So it's awesome. Yeah. There's something really, I think primal, something like deep seated about being, you know, being a man about like improving land. I don't know mm. if you've noticed that living there, but I'm, I'm sure it's similar for women too. But I just know as like, I get this like atavistic, like joy from building a rock wall or digging a pit, you know, or I call yeah. it like chop wood and carry water, you know, it's totally. Like it's... I mean, it feels really good to connect with that because I, I grew up in the Bay area, had no, have no experience with rural living. And I should mention the place we live is also completely off grid, which mm. has been a lot to understand and learn how to work with those systems. Um, but yeah, it feels so good to be connected like cyclically and with the nature of the place that you live, like, like the things that have been there for a really long time. I feel like when you're in a city, you're not really in touch with the wildlife that's native to there in this, in the same way, at least. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been awesome. And just like learning how to make stuff and yeah. uh i like to think like a good barometer or a good one of the, like the the prime differences of living a rural life versus a city life is like is 11 p.m early or late mm -hmm. you know and i've noticed that if you like living out away from people 11 starts to get a little later mm -hmm. you know but when you're in the city and there's all this consciousness active around you 11 p.m. feels really early. And, and that's one of the things I love about being in a rural environment is like you kind of get into that more natural oh, yeah. sleep I mean, cycle. Waking up when the sun comes up and going to sleep a little after it goes down for sure. Yeah. What what prompted the decision to, to, to move and live off grid? Well, I think part of it's um, for us looking at the direction things are moving. Um at least in my mind with climate change and, uh, and hyper capitalism, we wanted to see what it was like to, to be living a more sustainable lifestyle. We're still use propane and like, it's definitely not yeah. perfect, mm -hmm. but, um, but working on that and working towards that. Um, and we went down to this particular area near Joshua tree, like maybe eight or nine years ago to throw a party and fell in love with it and my friend john who had brought the sound system for that party him and his partner Kristen, also fell in love with that area so they started looking and five or six years ago they found a spot and they got it also off grid and we went to visit them within a week of them getting it because we were so excited for them and found out their next door neighbors the only people within two miles who shared a property line with them were moving to idaho and so they wanted John and Kristen to have friends living next door to them because when they first got that place, they had become friends with the people that John and Kristen's house was owned by. Um, yeah. So I, over the course of six months, I'd go down there every month and hang out and learn about the property and get to know them and build a relationship. And then we decided to do it. Yeah. And then the pandemic kind of gave us the flexibility to be there full time. 
what was that what, what was that feeling when you made that de- where were you living before canyon do you know canyon no canyon's like well first we we were living in, an, in a warehouse down at the fifth at marina for okay a long time and then um when Mandolin got pregnant with Maeve, our daughter, we had to leave that situation. And the only place we really wanted to be was this uh, really awesome. It's kind of like it's an unincorporated town that's just been the stronghold for a bunch of people who moved there in the 50s and 60s um, in between Arinda and Oakland. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I think I've heard of it. It's kind of like nestled in the hills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were there for about a year. And then uh, I don't even know. What what happened was the pandemic started and we decided to go down to the desert for a month. And we were there for a month. And we we're like, oh, this is nice. Because we'd only spent, I think, maybe a week at a time there. And then we were like, well, let's try three months. So we went in September and then we didn't really. We just came back to move our stuff out after that. You're just like, yeah, this is it. Awesome. And was there already buildings built or? Yeah, there's a two bedroom, two bathroom manufactured home. Then there was a tool shed that we've turned into a studio. And there's a well and a windmill. And yeah, that's it. And how do you guys get your power? Solar. Solar. Yeah. Wow, and that was that all already set up? Or? Yeah, it was set up, but it was pretty janky. Okay. Um, so I actually, we had found this guy, Peter, who's the man, and he uh, he's an off-grid badass, <laughs> former, you know, Marine, or maybe not Marine, but definitely in the Army. Mm-hmm. Um, now he works on, like, huge diesel generators, and uh, we had him come before we bought the place to inspect it for us and then since then he's just become a really good friend and, and mentor and has taught me a ton about off-grid so he he came over over the course of a few months and helped me upgrade the system nice but still want to right now the the battery room is like part of the house so you have to walk through this battery room to get out and it just feels really sketchy <laughs> so eventually i want to move that out of the house yeah That'll be nice. Mm-hmm. So uh, what what would you say is like, you know, what are the kind of primary issues with, with homesteading or what are, what are the things that, you know, the, 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 the big difficulties or the obstacles or the, you know, the things that you've had to overcome or, or achieve or, you know, what, what are the issues of homesteading, would you say? Um, I mean, you're, you have to be completely self-reliant. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, just while I've been up in the Bay right now, um, there's been no wind in the desert for the last three weeks. And we need wind for our windmill to spin and pull up the water. So... You know, I'm talking to Mandolin the other day, and she's like, yeah, we have like a tenth of our tank left, which will last maybe two more days. Wow. And the water's at a trickle at that point because we're on gravity. The tank is 10 feet high, and so we need gravity to get the water to flow to the house. But when there's not that much water in the tank, there's no pressure Mm. pushing down Mm -hmm. for it to come in. So, yeah, she was just basically had a trickle of water 
with no real end in sight of of the lack of wins. So then you got to go, you got to drive into town, you got to fill up jugs, um, can't water the plants. So it's stress, it's stressful. That kind of thing. I've blown up batteries before, which is really scary. Okay. Um, Do you grow your own food? Not yet. Okay. Our neighbors, our neighbors have gotten their garden going, which is really cool to see in the middle of the desert. Yeah. Um, I think we're probably like two years off of having that really solid. I want to start sort of figuring out what the space is going to be like for that this year. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm sure like it's got to have like change the perspective on, you know, you're, you're right now you're engaged. Sounds like you're engaged in all these systems and it's very like, seems like it'd be, you'd become very acutely aware of, yeah. You know, any sort of break in the system or, yeah, you're paying attention to, to it all the time. Um, because if you don't, yeah, it's like you could run out of power really easily. Um, if you have one, you know, this whole place was set up by somebody 20 or 30 years ago who just kind of threw it together. You know, he was just using the materials that he had. So, um, I've had, I've broken the water main before because the piece was just so old when I tried to change something on it, busted the pipe, just stuff like that. And having had no experience with plumbing or anything before Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it gets, when you mess up your main water system is super stressful. Yeah. (laughs) How far are you from town? Um, the closest town is about 20 minutes. Um, but it's like super rural and I'll go to the general store if I need like one thing, but, um, the other way, Yucca Valley, which is kind of like the bigger city is about 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah. You really start to see the value of a truck. I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) Having a truck would be really nice. Yeah. I've got a Subaru Outback, which I love, but like, especially when we first got the place, I probably made... 150 dump runs over the course of two or three years just wow. to, cause that was the deal is they sold us the place very reasonably, but we had to deal with everything mm. that was on the property. Yeah. But it's pretty, it's getting pretty tidy now. Nice. Yeah. It, it makes me think of, I, I just finished, uh, yesterday, last night. Um, it's like my favorite sci-fi series. They just released book nine. I don't know if you've heard of the expanse. I saw the first season of that. Yeah. Uh huh. So the audiobooks are incredible. The the voice actor Jefferson Mays is like the best voice actor I've ever come across. Is he narrating or is he doing the main character? He oh yeah, he's uh he reads the book but he's he does like all the voices. Cool. And he does like <laughs> he's got such a good dynamic range and he's got like just a really nice timbre for sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Like his way like the story has so much um, kind of like cold horror in it, which is like what I love. I love, I think like a good sci-fi needs to make your skin crawl a little bit mm-hmm. and something about his timbre and his, and the cadence of his voice really communicates like the ickiness of like the space virus. And the, it's like, I, I recommend it to everybody cause it's such a good series. And uh, my reason for bringing it up was like, the, you know, the, in in the story, you know, the, the protagonists, they're all living on this ship called the Rosinante. And, uh, you know, the last few books in the series, you know, they're all older 
and there's just so much uh, about how they're keeping this aging ship alive and it's their home and mm. the lines break and the maintenance. And the, it just made me think of that when you were talking about, you know, your homestead, because there's some similar similarities. You're in this desert. There's an inhospitable kind of radius of, of land and you're keeping a little pocket of sustainable life going. Mm -hmm. and... Yeah. And you know, you have to make decisions like, do you completely redo this thing that was done kind of janky, but, works right or do you just patch it you know yeah so it's like a constant question because yeah you have to be careful with your resources mm -hmm. so i'm sure it, i'm sure it must be very engaging to live like that though. yeah 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 and then having a two-year-old too it's like <laughs> right. constantly engaged yeah uh -huh. what a cool place though to get to grow up in are, is are there other children close by or no, no kids close by um mave has a friend iris who's like 40 minutes away um so anytime we go into town we usually hit their family up or and they've come out to our place a couple of times nice um yeah and we're hoping as time goes on we meet more people out there we moved there during the pandemic so right been been a little tricky to meet people too yeah but i would say where we live it's like mostly older people or people that have have their property we, we live in one of the biggest off-road spots i think in, in california maybe even the united states mm. it's like huge there's a thing called king of the hammers which is like the burning man for off-roaders nice it's really intense okay um sounds loud really loud and like lots of just lots of beer and guns yeah but uh yeah so a lot of those people i think have like weekend spots out there have you ever off-roaded no but i'm open to it it's a pretty i've done it a couple times in just my buddy has like a you know, he's kind of a mountain man and he has, he's always getting these old, you know, scouts or Chevys and, uh, we've definitely done some off-roading and, in, in that, you know, it's one thing to do it in like a, you know, a, a vehicle designed for it, but to do it in like a, you know, seventies Chevy, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. there's something about it that really, uh, hits home in a certain way. And, mm -hmm. I've definitely, I've taken my Outback out there before yeah um but i haven't done anything crazy with it but it's cool you can just kind of drive through these little valleys out there and discover really beautiful spots it's like endless exploring there what's it like to have such a connection to the stars again in your oh life? that's so nice <laughs> that's the best yeah um i mean one of my favorite things to do is make a fire outside mm -hmm. just sit under the stars and then also we, me and my neighbor are both sound freaks and both have large sound systems. Mm -hmm. So we like setting up Hell yeah. and, uh, yeah, making music under the stars. I'm curious, like living out there, um, what are like, you know, you've, you've told me you're a musician and you're doing all these systems around your house. Um, what, uh, what projects are you working on right now that, that are, you're excited about? Musically or, or just, just yeah, in general? Yeah, creatively in general. Or they're, they're... Um, in, well, musically, I've got uh, my like longtime band, Papa Bear and the Easy Love. I've been like slowly, slowly, slowly working on an EP for four years or something. Um, 
and just finished mastering it last night. So, Ooh. Really is that ex- what you were working on up here? It, one of the things I was working up okay. up here. I was also playing bass with um, Moz, okay. who's kind of part of our our little community of musicians, and uh, we're making a like Persian and Indian inspired psych rock record. Sick. Yeah, with uh, basically the Whisker Man crew, Graham, Jeremy Lyon, and uh, Dan Schwartz, and then me on bass. And Moz writing the songs and leading the band. That's so cool. Yeah. So really nice. I, that's the first. Uh, this project has been the impetus for me to come up to the Bay over the, the last like year and a half. And I remember the first time I came up, I guess last year, the first time I came up was the first time I'd like hung out with people since the pandemic started. And it was just like this really nice, refreshing breath of fresh air to be playing with friends again. Hell yeah. So, and that project's brought me up here three times now, I think. So. What kind of music is Papa Bear and you said the easy? The easy love. The easy love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of morphed when it started. I think I was pretty folk inspired. Um, and then the music for me has always been an outlet of expression around spirituality and, um, perception of reality and how to live in a way that feels good. Um, but it morphed from being folk and now it's pretty, I don't even, I don't know if I could put it in a genre. I feel like it's psychedelic. Um, my ears are really into cultivating new sounds that haven't existed before. And so I tried to impart that on this this EP. What does that process look like? Um, a lot of exploration. Yeah. It's like, mm, you know, I already had the foundation of what the thing is, the song itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, even like two of these songs, the lyrics, <laughs> the lyrics and the melody, I like had a general framework and idea and a concept for the songs. But uh, me and well, me and the engineer uh, took some acid and got in the studio and I just like sang and let it come out what, what it wanted to be. And uh, yeah, turned out pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah. How do you curious what the process is like for, you said you like to experiment with new sounds. Mm -hmm. Are these things that you're doing like, excuse me. Um, when you're experimenting with, with finding new sounds, are these like analog, real instruments, digital yeah, things? Yeah, yeah. Or like, what's what's that process like? Um, I'm definitely way more into the idea of analog, analog sound. And so over the past five or six years, I've gotten really deep into modular synthesis. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I have a pretty like substantial modular setup, which is basically you have these different components that um, – either are generating the sound, affecting the sound, or even more interesting with modular synthesis is you have a concept called control voltage, which you're using electricity to almost like automate um, something that's happening with the sound. So it's like instead of having a hand turning a knob, you can use an electrical signal to do that. And you can pro- you know program that electronically a lot of different ways. Um, 
Yeah. So I basically, a lot of times, either I'll have a sound that I'm hearing that I work on to make happen that I've, you know, studied synthesis enough where I, I can pretty much make what I hear in my head. Or sometimes I'll just be like, all right, I'm going to do something I've never done before with, with the patching and see what happens and then follow my ears to its, to where it wants to go. Manifesting happy accidents. Yeah, totally. I feel like modular synthesis is, is definitely, or electronic music in general, I feel like is a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. My, my roommate, Aaron, um, has a modular synth set up and I've heard like various, um, people talk about Duncan Trussell. I don't know if you're familiar with Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. He did the, uh, that TV show, that cartoon. Yeah. And, uh, midnight. Yeah. Yeah. Gospel. Gospel. Yeah. That's so, mm-hmm. it's so cool that that exists. Um, but I've heard him talk about it too. Just, it's like playing with modular synths is like a spiritual therapy in a sense. Like you can really lose yourself in, you know, both the cerebral aspects of the signal path, uh, but also in just, and I've heard my roommate do it too. Like <laughs> just the, the tones themselves can be really um, like trance induce- mm-hmm. inducing. Totally. That's... And it's, I love the possibility. There's so much possibility in it and you're, you're creating, you know, a miniature, first of all, you're creating a system, an instrument um, to your own liking and design. And then within that connecting the cables, you're creating a system and I just, I think I like systems. Systems, so, man. It's fun. Hell yeah. I want to pause real quick because I want to grab more coffee if that's cool. Yeah, totally. Okay, we're back. Hey. Thank you. I had to recaffeinate um, third cup, you know. Uh, but we were talking about systems. And I wanted to ask you, because I think, yeah, the other night we saw each other at that party. You were, you had mentioned that you were working on a... Um, like a subwoofer project with your friend? Yeah, yeah. So it's um, sound systems. Um, the greatest systems. Yes. Let's see. Uh, so we have a community company. Not exactly sure what you want to call it. Called Mobius Acoustics. Um, and about... I met Anthony maybe eight years ago. And he was in the process of of ideating and developing a, a new technology for subwoofers. Um, he was working with this NASA engineer named Viet, and they came up with this new way for sound to travel inside of a box, hmm. basically, kind of using like a spiral almost. Um, it's called a ring resonator is the patent. And they patented it, and then... I met Anthony around that time and started um, helping with prototyping, basically just coming out to his shop and learning how to build speakers and um, got to see the development of this technology into an actual physical object that is the best sounding subwoofer I've ever heard, especially for its size. Um, Yeah. So now we're actually building systems. We have sort of, three different kinds of systems right right now one is uh called the block which is uh a 24 inch by 24 inch by 12 inch i guess not a cube because it's not Mm -hmm. even on all sides but whatever square yeah um 
And that's sort of our like answer to consumer small PA systems like QSC system. Um, so it's like that size, but it's of way higher uh, sound quality and louder. Um, and what's really cool about them is most subwoofers are all subwoofers. You can't actually put them together to get them louder. You have to put them next to each other. So mm. you get like a little bit of, of uh, increased gain when you do that. But with our subwoofers, there's a hole through the center of them. So if you put two together, that spiral I was talking about, the sound can travel now through two speakers instead of one. Mm. And so the bass actually extends and gets deeper and louder. Modular subs. Exactly. It's modular sound systems. So the idea is that one person could have one. Another person could. They could be in completely different communities, and somebody wants to throw a party, and they're like, call up their buddy and be like, hey, I'm throwing a party. I want to make this like a 300-person party. Do you know anybody else with a block? And so you have this network of people that can come together to throw parties as opposed to just one person holding this big sound system, kind of being the gatekeeper for bigger parties. Democratize the low end. Exactly. What makes a a good subwoofer? Like what is, in your opinion, like what are the qualities that make a subwoofer a a good subwoofer? I mean, one of the main things is clarity and um, most boxes in part, they have resonant frequencies, right? So you get bumps at certain spots. You have certain spots that are dipped in the frequency spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we looked for and what we were aiming for was getting the flattest possible response, right? So everything sounds even. Uh, there's a lot of boxes you hear where it's just one, yeah, you'll really get one bass resonant frequency that sticks out. And then the rest of it's kind of like low volume, don't really hear, but that resonant frequency is contained in some other notes. So you still always get that one frequency sticking out. And that's pretty common, especially in, you know, there's some company, I guess, high-end sound companies that are making decent subwoofers. But, um, yeah, I think that's like a huge, huge part of it. Mm. Okay. And you use this then, that you were talking about the modular quality of it. Is that something that, is able to be interfaced with other speaker systems as well, like a, like a PA or like, I'm, I'm curious, how does, how does the subwoofer? Oh, so there's tops that come with the subwoofer. Okay. Um, what's cool about, I want to show you a picture. Yeah, we could pull it up. Check out mobiusacoustics.com. Cool. Think where did, where able... did that name come from? Um, I think it had to do with the original like thought process behind the, the actual design of that pathway that the the base wave travels mm-hmm. is like a Mobius strip. Gotcha. This idea of a, like, I think it, a Mobius strip is kind of like, in my mind at least, it's a concept where you're not losing energy, you know? It's a system that actually, like, maintains its energy. Mm. It's like infinity. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think our, you know, our speakers are aiming for that. That's the, those are the paradox, which is our hi-fi speaker. Okay. Um, so these are like, what, for like a home stereo home studio. It would be for like a mastering studio for a home theater system. Um, and they sound amazing. Nice. This, um, so 
these these the ones that you were talking about the modular ones is this uh like if you were to bring these to an event mm-hmm. are you running all the audio through that or do you need to pair that with other speakers as well to get the other all, frequency all readings? the audio goes through that but the so the subwoofer comes with two tops so i said there's a hole in the middle mm-hmm. i have a picture on my phone sure I can show you. there's a hole in the middle and the two tops actually fit inside that hole. So when you're carrying it, you carry it as one block. Okay. And then you get to the party, you pull the two tops out of the middle of the sub, you put a pole on the subwoofer, and then you fly the tops. Okay. Yeah. And so, you, you know, you can keep stacking these. You can, like, make a basically a line array of these tops, depending on how big the party is. But essentially, that system is going to cover all your frequency ranges? Yes, yeah, 100%. So, so it's essentially like a is – that, is that what a PA system yep. is? Okay. Yep. That was something that I was always curious about, like what makes a PA different than another kind of amplifier. Yeah. You're basically getting, you know, human hearing goes down 20 hertz to 20,000. And so that's the range you're kind of going for, though. Our subwoofers, the the block goes down to, I want to say 40, maybe 37 when it's just one. And then if it's two, it dips down to like 32. And then I think if there's three, it's 25 or 24 mm. hertz. So, yeah. Nice. Have you, have you uh, taken them out? To oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've had, I had, have had the first pair of them maybe four years now. Wow. And I've thrown countless events with them. Yeah. And then, um, I think right now there's eight to ten in existence and we're building four right now to our first two going out of state we're sending two out to colorado so yeah the goal is to get them in as many people's hands as possible so that we can do more that's you know? awesome yeah and um you you can the subs are i feel like that's something that you just feel also like in your chest or in your stomach mm-hmm. you're at an event it's like such a um, holistic, all-encompassing experience. Totally. Well, and, and here's the thing. I feel like the cleaner the sound, the the more the intent of the artist is translated through the system to the people, right? It's a vibration. And so if we can get that vibration to happen with no distortion, then that message or whatever you want to call it Mm. comes through. And I feel like for a good party or a good space for music, like that's, that's what you need and that's what you want. And I feel like that leads to way better conversation when you're hanging out at a party Mm. and there's good music and clean music. Um, yeah. So that's, I'm, I'm trying to like, I'm really into the subtlety of what sound can do for communal experience. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, I've realized that, that it makes such a difference to me just what music is playing. Like so often, like if I go somewhere and they're playing like top 40 pop stuff, I start to feel like I call it fast food music. Cause <sighs> it makes me feel like I just ate at McDonald's. Totally. It's like the same feeling. Uh, and I get pretty much an instant headache. I like, I've, part of the reason I love living in the desert is I really don't have much interaction with popular culture. Yeah. Man, if I walk into a target or something and there's pop music playing, like I literally get a headache like <laughs> instantly. Yeah. It makes you feel so, makes me feel like so just 
kind of down. It's a little depressing and, and vice, you know, the, the, the counter to that is if I go to a party and it's like some, they're playing some like sweet B sides or classic soul or something. It's like, I feel safe and I feel like it opens me up. Like I, I can, you know, I, I, I had this experience like, like uh, a few years back where I was digging through some boxes at my mom's house and I found an old VHS and back when I had a v- VCR, I put it in at my house and it was an old home video of my dad, like in a studio holding me. I was like six months old. Whoa. And I'm listening, I'm watching and I'm noticing that he's playing like Jeff Beck in the background, like wired. And I'm like, like something clicked. Cause I realized like, Oh, he was playing the music that I'm into now while I was in those formative states. Totally. So like, this music is equated to me with like feelings of safety. Oh, dude, my daughter's going to be so weird. <laughs> I play the weirdest music in our house. It's awesome. Is there anything that she like really resonates with at this early? Well, age? she's really into Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy. We okay. scored uh we scored Raggedy Ann Raggedy Andy record at the swap meet. Mm. Uh, Yucca Valley has the best swap meet of all time. It's like you could score so much treasure there and it's nice. really reasonable. Uh, but we got this Raggedy Ann, Raggedy Andy record, and she loves What's, What kind of music is that? Oh, uh, it's like really happy. Uh... Ragtime? <laughs> not, not, not ragtime. It's almost like, I guess it's kind of folky. Mm-hmm. But they like tell the story in between the songs and stuff, and she'll just bop around. Nice. And then, what else does she like? She's really particular, because if I put something on and she doesn't like it, she's like, Papa, I don't like that song. So... Mm, we have a Jugtown, like all Jugtown music record, loves it. Nice. That's her jam for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think when I was two, I was big on Love Shack. B-52s. <laughs> I loved that song growing up. And uh, Tom Petty, Free Fallen. Classic. Those are like my two, the earliest, you know, two songs I really remember being into. But it is, I mean, it is really true. Like, during these the, these early formative years, you're like, you know, you're really like setting the tone for what your kid is going to feel comfortable with. Yeah. What's interesting is I feel like there's definitely, I mean, maybe not, but I feel like there will be a rebellion at some point against mm-hmm. that and oh, then sure. and then an embracing of it. Yeah. No, I feel I, like that's what happens. Totally. Yeah. You go into that kind of teenage, early 20s stage where you're gotta you know define yourself how you're different break from your away parents. Mm-hmm. but usually you know late 20s early 30s you start to realize that it's pretty cool yeah and and you think you're going different but actually you're you are like self-selecting <laughs> for things that are similar to you know like i got into really into hip-hop music in high school you know went 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 from being a huge classic rock where'd stoner, you go to high school uh drake mm-hmm. and you know, I was diehard Zepp, Leadhead, Zeppelin, Floyd, you know, Sabbath. And then I started listening to hip hop. And it, I remember. Well, what hip hop were you listening to when you first got into it? Oh, that's a good question. Okay. In, in eighth grade, I was really into NWA. Mm-hmm. I just loved how much swearing there was. Mm-hmm. It, I thought it was like hilarious. I just couldn't help but laugh. You know, like, fuck the police coming straight from the under, you know, like. How could you not as an adolescent love that, like the anti-authority of it? Um, 
And then freshman year, I was really into Jurassic Five and um, this group called Ugly Duckling. They're, mm. they're like fucking sick from, <laughs> from Long Beach. Like they're, you know, they they were like repping the DJ. You know, it was like the DJ trio, two MCs and DJ. Nice. Their wordplay is amazing. And, and uh, Young Einstein's their DJ and he's just got like the funkiest, like sickest beats. They have this album... Uh, Journey to Anywhere. Hmm. I, I think it's I required listening for anybody. It's it's a really good album, and um, and it's cool because they're clean. So like I throughout the years, I've I've taught like break dancing and stuff. And you've been able to do that, and they're you taught um, break dancing. Yeah, Dude, yeah. I played I played bass with the break dance crew. Okay. Uh, it must have been twenty twenty one, maybe twenty two. But a lot of them were based in the Bay Area. Do you know? I think his name was Flex or something like this. Flex. Flex. But, uh, yeah, we played at the Clackamas County Oregon Fair for, like, three weeks. I played bass, and then there was a guy doing, like, trash can drumming to this breakdance crew. Oregon Country Fair? No, not Oregon. I wish Oregon Country Fair. That's where we met, right? Yeah, we met at Oregon Country Fair. Outside the Ritz. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, the Ritz. The Ritz. Yeah, I think Honey Honey Drops or Rainbow Girls, one of them was playing. Yeah, they Mm -hmm. both played that that weekend, but I think it was was right before the Honey Drops set. We, uh, I remember... I think meeting you backstage, we were taking tequila shots. Mm-hmm. Carry, I think one of us was carrying an amp, something like that. Man, what a magical space! I hope well, that comes so back good. soon. Me too. I miss it's the me. best. Who can? Where else can you say you took a sauna, you know, with three hundred people, and then went and stood Just naked in the crowd, watched some great music, <laughs> watching watching a naked band mm-hmm. with, with a naked crowd? But, but yeah, dude, that yeah. So I got into all that, you know, started getting to all this hip hop. Then I. I had a friend who, and I wasn't really, I really liked Biggie, mm-hmm. but I didn't really get what the big deal was about Tupac. And then my, my homie, shout out Brandon Johnson, like basically was like, look, bro, like you're my friend and like you got, like you, <laughs> you can't not like Pac. And so he, we, we did this backpacking trip up in Tuolumne and he picked me up and he's like, I have... I've burned seven Tupac albums and we're going to listen to nothing but Tupac on the drive (laughs) up and the drive back and smoke a lot of weed. And by the time that we got back from the mountains, I was like a diehard convert. And over the next, you know, couple years that it was, that music was so important to me. And one of the things I realized in, you know, in getting into, into hip hop rap was that I was self-selecting for this very specific range of timbres and sounds. And I think around junior year, I started to realize that like all my favorite hip hop songs were had soul samples. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, there's a genre that's just this vibe. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of my point. Like I went out there into this hip hop Thinking you were doing world. your own thing, right. but it was just your pops. Totally. And, and you know, my experience, like my mom, one of the things that I love about my mom and loved about her growing up was, you know, when my dad moved out and it was just me and my brother and my mom, we had a very, uh, there was a lot of freedom in our house because we'd been living under the oppression of like an abusive alcoholic. And so when he was out, we had a really democratic household. We made decisions as a family 
And my mom never censored our music. Like mm. we could listen to whatever we wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember that was one of the early issues with my stepdad when he <laughs> came around came the into house. a situation he couldn't quite handle. Yeah, like I was black. <laughs> I remember I was blasting. I'd just gotten the self-titled Rage album, and I was blasting it, and he was like having an issue with the words and stuff, and I was just like, "Dude, like you're coming into you're this. coming into this. Like you can't, you know." And he's a I love him. He's he's great, but. That was like one of the early things where I was like, we do things a little differently in this family, man. Like, I got to be able to blast my rage, mm-hmm. you know. I'll close the door. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but, you know, because of that, it never felt like it was, you know, like it was that rebellious. And, you know, my mom's the one that turned me on to Zeppelin. You know, she used to play Stairway on the piano when I was growing up. And music was always something that was really shared in, mm-hmm. in the fam. Um, but I definitely see, I, I think that the, for me, the rebelliousness was more towards like the, the, the institutions or the traditional authorities of school of, you know, whatever I was feeling, I was you know more rebelling against maybe the culture, mm-hmm. the, you know, high school administrators, what have you, you know, where in the Bay did you grow up? I grew up in between Walnut Creek and Concord. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you lived through the hyphy movement too. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing, you know, and during our generation in high school that it came through and it was, it was pretty, uh, it's pretty destructive for a lot of people. And, you know, in our school that one of the things that was so wild about it was, you know, I remember for the first two years of high school, we had a really hippie vibe, hmm. you know, it was very like, laid back everyone was kind of smoking weed and uh you know mushrooms maybe if you're wild and uh and then come junior year like 2005 uh the hyphy movie hits like in full swing and Mm -hmm. suddenly it's like oh what's this oh everyone's doing ecstasy Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. there's a lot more designer drugs suddenly coming around and I remember having this intuition, like I was like, this whole music genre seems like it's like the ultimate sales pitch by people because all the rappers were selling mm-hmm. e-pills. And I'm mm-hmm. like, this is almost like a a grand marketing it's, strategy. I mean, it's pretty genius business yeah. strategy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, destructive. I think I feel like I had just gone to college when the hyphy movement blew up, but I still had friends in Oakland, actually. Who were definitely like at least into the music. Yeah. You know. And 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 I will be the first to admit, like Mac Dre was a genius. Like his I go back and listen to those tracks and his wordplay and the produ- production on those his beats. style too, man. Yeah. It's such a style. So unique. And you know, it's funny, on Saturday, me and my brother went to a Warriors game at Chase Center in the city. And it's such a trip because they moved the team to San Francisco, and understandably, there's... You know, Wait, the Warriors are in San Francisco now? Yeah. Weird. Yeah, right. Yeah, they moved... They're winning a bunch of games. They're winning titles out here in Oakland. They moved to SF. They build this shiny, you know, hundreds of million dollar stadium, and now they're just... You know, terrible. this season, they're, they're doing terrible? great, but for the last two years, they've had the Frisco curse, as I like to call it, and... uh but one of the weird, the trippy things of going to that stadium is it's such a corporate environment. I mean, it's Chase Center. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the things that they're doing now is they're importing Oakland's musical culture in this corporate setting. So you're in the stadium and they're just blasting like too short and E40 and, but it's like corporatized. So like, you know, they're picking specific little edits out of the songs that Mm -hmm. are like, don't include any of that stuff. And it's like this, it's how, how it always goes. Right. It's how yeah. It always goes. But it's such a trip because I remember this music in high school being so like edgy and risky. And now they've like filed off all the rough edges and I'm seeing it being like always. repackaged as like, yeah, we stole your team Oakland, but we're going to like give you some, this is our, you're giving you credit. Yeah. And it's just a weird kind of commodification of, of this vibe of this culture. And, you know, it was just a, it was a trip uh, going and experiencing that. Mm-hmm. I guess we all, you know, everyone lives to see that and, you know, you live long enough. Everything, man. I feel like anything that was ever edgy or cool gets co-opted at some point or, or, or disappears. Right. That's it. Yeah. I saw this great interview with, I think it was Dave Matthews in this, this music documentary called Before the Music Dies. It's a great music doc. And he's talking about, that beautiful creative energy is like it manifests in resistance to whatever the dominant system is. Mm-hmm. And then this culture, this, you know, eats it. Society finds a way to co-opt it and eat it, it and, it. and refine it and distill it and just hyper saturate it to the point of where it's like gross again. And then that then the energy moves somewhere else and it happens again. And that's, I kind just of read, like, um, do you know, William Burroughs, writer i know the name he was part of the uh sort of the trinity of the beat movement it was it was um ginsburg ginsburg kerouac and burroughs and so yeah i've just been reading his biography and reading about how the the beat movement they were like these super counterculture figures like huge change transformed transformed uh the culture in the United States. And then they both ended up being part of the national writers, whatever, like the, the main institution for writers in the U S they both Mm. became members and got totally eaten by the system. You know, (laughs) it's just funny. It's funny. A a couple years ago, I was watching the super bowl and there's just this big Chevy ad with Bob Dylan. He's like, what's, what is tough? What is America? And I'm just like, damn, they got Bob. Like, what? Like, He's always Bob's always been about the money. I think. Right. I think. If that was his brand was being so counter. You know, it just was like it was so like yeah, bizarre. You get, you get old, man. You don't give a fuck anymore. Right. Yeah, pay me. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I'm I, I get it. I'm not hating the hustle, but I just it was just a funny moment where I was like, you live long enough, and any of these heroes get eaten by the system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I'm curious what you're like musical evolution was like, like mm. how did you, how do you find yourself now with your, it's a great question. Particular. Well, I started off playing bass. Uh, I was playing punk rock in high school, started picking up guitar a little bit, went to college, started really jamming with people for the first time, which was really inspiring. And then started a prog rock band my sophomore year with some other people in the dorm I was in. And that project lasted actually for like three years. It was great. It was called Digiomai. 
was super weird. A lot of odd time signatures and stuff. And then also I was working at Sylvan Music, which is a music store in Santa Cruz. And uh, this guy Asher got my number because he was looking for a bass player. And I joined up with him and he was doing kind of like California, um, I don't know, I'd say like California beach, beach music. Um, he was heavily influenced from his grandma who became a mentor of mine who is like old school Eslin. Okay. Like pure love embodied in a human being. She's the best lover dearly. So the, the lyrics of that band was really inspired by her. Um, and through that band, I met my buddy, Mike, who is a drummer. We met him, we got him on Craigslist and me and him became a rhythm section and we've been playing together ever since, which has been like maybe like 15 years or something. Wow. We've been playing together. Um, so that band was happening for a while, and then I got pulled to San Francisco. I wanted to try something new. I wanted to be in a bigger place, and I started writing songs um, just based on – I actually had my first LSD trip, and it was like in, instrumental in my development, I feel like, as a human being. I, uh, I used to be like 250 pounds. 240 pounds. I was big, big dude. Mm -hmm. And I, I took acid for the first time, had this super magical, uh, experience with this girl named Lotus, her real name. Uh, she kind of, I was at a party and she like guided me on this mystical journey and I ended up at her house and she gave me an apple and I took a bite of this apple and I had been hearing about eating raw from Grace, uh, my friend's grandma mm -hmm. who was, um, and so I took a bite of this apple and I tasted I tasted the entirety of the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, myself, and uh, decided to eat raw after that. So I ate raw for like six months and got really into rock climbing and it dropped like 60 or 70 pounds in three months or something. Wow. It was insane. Yeah. And like my mom was super worried about me. She's like, oh my God, what do you, what? <laughs> I was like, no, it's all good. Yeah. I'm like fucking great. Right. I'm so good. Yeah. Uh, so that happened, moved to San Francisco, started writing songs. And I think that's when I really started cultivating community and music community and, um, hosting a lot of events. And yeah, I, I guess through my own music and through songs developed this like incredible network of musicians who I feel like are all coming from a really uh, heartfelt place. This, I think that's kind of what I'm about and what I like to have in my relationships with people. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then about six years ago, I moved in with Anthony, the guy who uh, invented these speakers and he's an old school electronic musician, like comes from, I don't know. He's got a lot of different roots, but he ended up living in Japan for six years or something. And, uh, yeah, we lived in this warehouse together and I feel like he taught, I learned a lot from him about this whole different side of music that I didn't really know before. And so that has influenced my songwriting and then also has given me this whole new branch of music I've been exploring and making. Nice. Yeah. And 
did you meet the was that where you met the whisker man guys was in this the city um, yeah i met whisker man when i was living in the city and somebody invited me to see this collective called family folk explosion that was happening in the city at the time which were they're kind of a dark scene but <laughs> i went i went to the show and uh whisker man was opening i'd never heard of them and they're playing and this was before whisker man was really psychedelic it was more like kind of like a little darker folk okay americana and uh yeah, I just remember hearing Graham and seeing him play, and I was like, oh, I got to play with that dude. And then I'm standing there, and this dude I went to college with, Nando, shows up. And I'm like, Nando, what's up, man? Have you seen this band? He's like, oh, yeah, that's my homie Graham. I grew up with that guy. So we all kicked it afterwards, and I had just booked my first Great American Music Hall show. Oh, wow. So I invited Graham to, to play with my band. And then, yeah, since then, we've just been, like, crisscrossing musically for years. Was he playing fiddle with you guys, or? Yep, fiddle. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's such a. He's a fiddler. Such a talent, just a. A true artist in every sense of the word, and mm-hmm. I, every time I hang with that guy, I feel like I'm like. Getting to experience someone living on a different plane, you know. Yep, he's de- he's definitely on the edge. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, it's 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 beautiful. Love though. you, Graham. It is. Uh, it is like a great, you know, it's like the people in your vicinity that you surround yourself with. That's like, you know, it's like being a fish in a fishbowl. That's the water that you're living in. And mm-hmm. I'm always, I like being pulled in different directions. I like the different personalities. We we're talking about Eli earlier. Like he's so good. Uh, you know, it's important that, you know, as important as the food you're putting in your body or the, you know, the um, exercise, the, meditation like you got to surround yourself with people relationships that's what's all about i mean we're relating to everything all the time and then what's really cool about people is it's very it's i mean i kind of feel like relationships with everything even this couch i'm sitting on is two-way but really with people it's like you're in this constant two-way you know back and forth or simultaneous i don't really know and it's yeah How, how how have you been like, have you been able to meet that need living so removed? Like, how? Yeah, what, a, what do you do to scratch that itch? That's a good question. I'm starting to connect with some good people. Check a sip of water real mm-hmm. quick. Connecting with some good people in L.A. I mean, ever since I've been in college, I've always had some connection to L.A., like some community of musicians. It's changed throughout throughout my relationship with L.A., but... Um, yeah, making some good new friends there that I'm stoked on. And so I'm popping up to LA every couple of weeks, every month or something. And then, yeah, my next door neighbor, I hang, see him a good amount. I've got a, a friend, Spencer, um, who is my favorite musician in the desert. Uh, we have a project together called Now Now, which is purely improvisational electronic music that's super fun we just did a dj vinyl dj set together at a party too which was great yeah they're just like they hold down really uh really good fun deep vibes um yeah so i'm still getting some but you know my people up here like my oldest and uh Yeah, I got deep, oldest and deepest musical relationships, so I definitely miss it. And when I come back, it feels really refreshing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, it's how are you at like 
driving and traveling is that hard on your body or do you, do you no because i feel like that's one thing like i love to drive i, I, I took a a job a few years back where I was just literally driving weed up and down the state in sprinter vans. Some days, you know, one day I drove 17 hours in a day, mm-hmm. you know, and I just loved it. Like I love being on the road and playing my music or my podcasts or my audiobooks and just seeing everything. And for me, you know, my mom like always hated it. Mm. And that was such a contrast in my life was realizing like, Hey, it's not a big thing for me to pop down to LA. Like I, I just went down a couple of weeks ago and visited my aunt and it, it, I don't really look at those tra- travels as, as well, it's not I look forward time. to those days. Yeah. You know? I, I like, I like driving, uh, especially when I have all my like technology in order so that I can listen to music. Cause mm. there's times when like my phone's broken or oh, yeah. I don't have the right cable. <laughs> those drives are a little rough, totally. but if I have music, then yeah, I could drive and drive. But it's also different now having a family, like, my level of responsibility is high. So I can only do things when it's really, um, when there's good good reason to. Mm-hmm. I guess I can't just pop up here willy-nilly. Right, right. It's got to be like, like, this was for a recording project, which feels worthwhile. Definitely coming back in the spring for a wedding, but... Do you feel like your life now is more like the actions that you undertake, like by definition have to be more intentional? Like, like there has to be a reason Mm -hmm. as opposed to like, I mean, that's kind of what parenthood seems like, right? It is. It's (laughs) like anytime I'm not with my family, I better be doing something like awesome and also probably like bringing resource to the family. Yeah. You know, providing. Right. So. It's an interesting perspective shift, I, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. See, that first moment when you're holding your child the first time and you're like, oh my God, I am responsible for this being's life. It's like, just so much, it's so much, you know, it's so much beauty and so much uh, intensity. Yeah. And yeah, that just never really goes away. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. And- but. It's awesome. She's she's super cool. That's so cool. The the uh Yeah, it's been great. You know, one of the things we've been you know, developing our own little scene here in the backyard and that was born out of wanting you know to have our own, you know, type of Are We talking thing? like clubhouse? Like clubhouse vibes or like like um music. We've been doing uh these things called the backyard boogie and it's it there are these parties that you know last year during the pandemic yeah you know i had this huge like flood of creativity um it was really big creative year for me i started this podcast uh and me and my brother my brother moved it in only for about six months nine months but we started really doubling down on trying to create this, make this house into a, a really cool living environment. Mm-hmm. We, we had a, you know, a roommate who was living here who was kind of in a rough spot and he was really dominating the, the culture. Yeah. And when he left, it really opened things up. And That's so this, nice. This vision of like what it could be. And it's been like a two year process. We just had Tara move in and she's just like, she cool, man. She's the best. She's really opened 
all of us like, you know, gentle bros in our separate room. She's like the connecting force that's, we needed that feminine energy in here so bad. And, uh, but, but we, you know, me and my brother, we put all this love and energy into, we built a stage in the yard. We built a sauna. We have been really working. We cleared a ton of growth out and our intention was to create this environment that would allow people to come and kind of like re-socialize. Yeah. It's been so isolated. And so we've been doing these backyard boogies, which is like, you know, good food, you know, good community, good music. Uh, we really have been trying to walk the line on stage of having a musical environment that is, it's this balance between like, not just a bunch of drunk people yelling on the mic or, you know, like yeah. over over shredders, you know, taking up space. People in service to the music and the vibes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But also not letting the super musicians come and run the show. <laughs> God bless them. But like that can get so stuffy. And, totally. And we were going to all these scenes and it was either like drunk people yelling on the mic or like competitive jazz bros dominating and like how dare you think you can step up and play. And we've been pretty good and successful at Are you cur- are you curating the the people that come? Like or is it open? It's open, but we want it to be we want like our dream for the space is we wanna like we have our homies, like obviously like having the honey drops at the party is gonna make the level of overall music very high. Uh and, and having them come is great and I love having them play. It's it's they're so much fun to play with. But we've also been really working on the boundary of like, this isn't a honey drops show. And like, you guys are welcome, but you guys are also, this isn't your thing. This is our thing. Mm -hmm. Not that we're trying to dominate it, but just that it's like a night for them to get to be off. They don't have to like carry the scene, but also like my vision is that like, I want it to be the kind of thing where the music's amazing but it's also like that girl that like loves to sing. Yeah. Can hasn't get up there really and gotten do it. to do it in front of people can get up and do a song and have a moment where she's like, it's like not the like shitty band. That's, you know, yeah, you sang, but it wasn't really great. Like I want people to have that transcendent experience where like the music is incredible and it's open to people taking that risk. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Um, and it's as much, you know, as much high minded, Communities is my own selfish want to be able to get up and do my humble bass playing, you know, with a good band, you know, and get to kind of punch above my weight. And and it's just, it's been amazing how it's evolved. You know, the other aspect is that we, uh, it's, it's always multi-generational. Nice. That's That's so important. My brother. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I heard, I think, I don't know if I met your mom or I heard she's been out for some parties. Yeah. Oh yeah. She, she came and, and uh, her and my stepdad got a little fungal and they were like deep in it. You know, my mom got on stage, MC mom, we like to call her. She does nice. some rapping every now and then. And she was all up in the mix and it was made me feel so good to see her like, you know, me and my brother were raised, you know, in this, in this yummy period when, when my dad moved out, you know, one of the big communities that took us in was this place called the red house, which was a sixties, a, a commune in the sixties, the, the kind of the, the matriarch. It's crazy dude. That place that I had my, uh, 
first acid trip was the Red House in Santa Cruz. And that, was, a different Red House. Yeah, but it's yeah. own, you know, hippie. Right, totally. Hippie vibe. Yeah, there's a Red House over yonder. You know? <laughs> um, but this place, you know, the, the matriarch, this woman, Marsha Fallon, who I've, I actually got to have on this podcast, which was awesome. Her and her husband had the first psychedelic shop on Haight Street. Cool. And this was like, you know, she was starting to like have real anxiety trying to live in that scene. And so they moved out to Marin and found this cool property. And, you know, me and my brother came on the scene, you know, three decades later, but that the energy was there and Mm. it was so magical. And they would have, you know, her children were then in their twenties having parties and it was always like this multi-generational environment where like, you know, the 20 somethings are in the mix you know, hanging out and doing, doing the party, but there was always kids and there was always like the magic that that brings. Mm. And so that's like a deep part of my brother and I's values. And that was a part of the intention of, of these backyard boogies is like, we got to teach the youth how to party. Mm-hmm. You know, we live in, this... how are you getting the youth to come? Well, we have a lot of friends now that have kids. Oh, uh, and oh, you're talking that youth. Cause I, sometimes I think about like high school. Yeah. And and college kids, like, do they know how to party right now? Right. I think the answer for a lot of them is no. Yeah, how do we know. get them to come party? Yeah, well, that's that's a good question. I think that, you know, it's there's always like, I feel like there's always the struggle with our, like this country's puritanical roots. You know, you go to a place like Ireland. When I went to Ireland, I was struck by the pub culture and the fact that the pub isn't, it's not such an unhealthy place. Hmm. Like you go to the pub and there's kids running around, there's dogs, there's, you know, it's, there's drinking going on, but it's a community gatherings place. And that's really much more of what it is. And as a child in that context, you're able to look and you're able to see like the mayor at one end of the table and the village drunk is in the same totally. room. And so rather than just having like two examples of what adult behavior looks like, you can see the full spectrum, you know? And I think that's something in our culture we've really lost with this kind of, you know, the the, the Protestant model of like the single family unit. Hmm. Uh, we're understa- understandably also lonely because we've evolved to be these intensely social creatures. Our development is so tied towards having multiple examples of adult behavior. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I say teach the youth to party, part of it is like they need to see good models and bad models. Mm. Like they, like it's important to to not hide. Like that's one of the things that I liked about that Irish culture is even the village drunk is not shunned. Mm -hmm. People just understand like, Oh, he's the fuck up, Mm -hmm. but there's still a place for him at the table. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I gotta go, dude. I'm supposed to have a, a lesson at noon. All good, dude. Well, Hey, it's a good place to end, but uh, I'm just curious. The, the last thing we'll wrap on is if people do want to find your music, Ooh, how do they? That's, that's a little tricky. Okay. Well, actually, I just launched a Bandcamp subscription. Yeah. So it's kind of like Patreon, yeah. but it's for purely audio. Okay. Um, so if you go to <laughs> bandcamp.com slash 
bare glass, maybe. Okay. I don't know. I'm not sure how you're going to find it. Or people can just Google Papa Bear Bandcamp. Yeah, something? try try that. Papa Bear and the Easy Love is that the project? That that's one of okay. the projects. Gotcha. So I just made this Bandcamp that uh, has all of my projects okay. under under it. So it's like an umbrella for everything. Cool. So it's got the electronic stuff. It's got the Papa Bear and the Easy Love stuff. Sweet. Um, so I'm trying out this subscription model thing because a I like the idea of being in relationship with people in that way where you're giving resource and valuing the art and my you know my intention is to release something every two weeks nice um and then if you subscribe you get every every release that happens cool um yeah so we're gonna see how that goes well if you want to you know if you end up sending me the link i can put it in the show notes so people can find it um but dude thanks so much for coming on yeah dude so good to connect yeah for sure it's one of the things i love most about this and Wishing you all the best on your drive back. And let me know the next time you guys are doing something down in the desert. I'd love to come Definitely. check it out. I just was talking to Lesh about they're playing J Tree Music Fest. I'm I like, you guys that. should do a, do a show before or after my spot. So. I know. Maybe I'll tag along. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks a lot, Papa Bear. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice. Right there you have it. Papa Bear himself. Uh, many thanks for coming on, Papa Bear. Wish you all the best in your endeavors with this recording and uh, continuing to survive in the recesses of the deep desert like Muad'Dib himself. Um, go check out uh, Papa Bear. You can connect on Instagram with him. I forgot to get that off of him. Um, but on Instagram, he is at the Easy Love. And I think that's the band page with the music and all that. Go check them out. Um, check out check out his website. Get some speakers. Um, hope you guys all enjoy this middle grundle tide period. And, uh, you know, be kind to each other and be well, my friends.